quick. Appreciate that much. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. If you'll join with me there. Romans chapter 1. We have Brother Al Lipka coming down the middle aisle. If you need an outline, we'd love for you to be able to follow along if you'd like to do so with the outline. Otherwise, you can just jump in with us in Romans chapter number 1. Is your all on the altar? Such a great God that we serve deserves our all, doesn't he? And uh, really what Brother Aaron said earlier and what we're studying here. Boy, a study of Romans chapter 1. I'll challenge us that not only is man without excuse, but the fact is this, you and I are without excuse to give him our all. And all that he's done for us and what he has shown himself to be in our lives and in this world, boy, we owe it all to him. And our all ought to be on the altar. Romans chapter 1, we finish up the part 7. I told you that there'll be some nights in our study through Romans that we'll have to stop right in the middle and things. So we'll finish up what we would call uh, part 7 here. Romans chapter 1, we're in verse 19, if you recall. Verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. And we focused in that part that says manifest in them. And then verse 20, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal God or power and Godhead. And this is the phrase we've been focusing on so that they are without excuse. You remember the last couple of weeks, we've looked at this simple terminology here. It's at the top of your outline. Likewise, God's given revelation that leaves every person without excuse. We started first of all, and we're not going to rehash it all, but we we looked at first that God has revealed himself to mankind. How? Within mankind. The moral nature and the things that he has created us with that bespeak a God, a creator. And then secondarily, as we introduced last week, we looked at the simple truth that God has revealed himself to mankind without him. In other words, outside of man. And we saw this in looking at creation and last week and in great proofs and truths that God is the creator of all. And how the ferment truly does declare his glory. And what a great truth it is. Remember how we put it in context. How we framed it was simply this. The devil has done a great job at his smear campaign of God, hasn't he? It's been highly effective in getting people to believe such theories as evolution and other things that would uh, doubt or put doubt or basically deny the existence of God. And so his smear campaign has been very effective. So why in the world should you and I as believers get so worked up over evolution and other things that attempt to mask one of the two greatest witnesses for God? Well, it's because of what verse 20 says is revealed about our God. Did you catch it? We didn't get into it last week, and this is where we'll pick up tonight. You'll notice that the very first statement in verse 20, that it reveals about God. What does creation reveal? His eternal power. His eternal power. Now you think about it. God is declaring that creation round about us is declaring his very own power. We would put it this way. The intricate design and workings of creation scream of unimaginable a power which does not simply exist in and of itself, but rather is manifestation of a supreme being, intelligence, a God, as verse 20 says. From the macrocosm of the galaxies all about us to the microcosm of the smallest atom, the existence of your God is revealed in all of creation. So from the smallest part of creation to the largest that we can't even begin to take completely in, it reveals a great and powerful God. It's true, and we perceive the amazing creation all around us. And as we do, every human ought to be able to reason back that there is a creator. 
There's something greater than me. There, there is something or someone that has created everything. We put it this way. It's all in your outline. It took limitless power to create life. And it doesn't start, stop with creation of life. But can I tell you, it takes faithful power to sustain life. To sustain life. So his power, limitless, is seen in the re- very reality. He created everything. And yet at the same time, my friend, God's power is seen as that he sustains everything. He keeps life going. He preserves it and keeps it going all along the way. All that we see in creation could not develop or come to be apart from a master designer. But mankind sure is good at refusing to acknowledge that, to reason to that, isn't it? Man goes halfway and stops. You, you, we've heard of it. We've talked about it before. There's such thing as theistic evolution. There's a belief, a philosophy of, of intelligent design. What do these things say? Well, they say, hey, there has to be somebody behind all of creation. Somebody intelligent, a master designer, as we might describe it. There has to be power there because we see the intricacies found throughout creation demand that there's intelligence behind it. In other words, we've talked about our new soundboard that's back there. And the reality is someone had to design that. Someone had it to put together. It didn't just happen one day that Brother Judah walked back there and boing, it's there. Okay, like bunnies, it just appeared. No, that didn't happen. No, somebody designed it. Somebody put that together and somebody created that. And frankly, if you go and look at it, you, you say, wow, somebody intelligent <laughs> had to put this together. And so it is. So creation says that. But can I tell you, mankind has gone halfway. Because we don't want to acknowledge fully that there's a God uh, that we are accountable to. So we'll just call it something like intelligent design. Theistic evolution. Because it doesn't give him all that he deserves it doesn't put him in the place that he deserves and therein is the struggle through all time the devil didn't want god in his own place devil wanted to be himself in god's place that carried on to adam and eve and all through mankind it has been passed on in our sinful nature the reality that we want to supplant god We don't want to give him all his due. We want to give him credence that he is the king of all, that is the creator of all. And so even in this truth, yes, some will say, okay, yes, we see that there's power. There's obvious intelligent design, but it falls short in calling God fully who he is and acknowledging the entire truth about God uh, that is revealed uh, in creation. If Satan can propagate evolution or such theories then he can remove from the minds of people the very existence of God. And I'll tell you, my friend, every person that doesn't believe there's a God is a person that the devil has faithfully and successfully duped. He's duped them. He's leading them straight to hell. It reveals his power. But did you see what else? Not just his eternal power, but it also, interesting term, is it in his Godhead. It reveals God's Godhead. Creation, its overwhelming display of power established at the master designer, the God of the universe, is truly divinely supreme. When we speak of his Godhead, it's kind of twofold what it's saying to us. It's saying that he is above everything, that he is the God of the universe, that he is the one that is, uh, frankly, uh, above everything, above creation, and as such, then he is superior, and I am therefore inferior. I am subjective to him. I am accountable to him. The term in the, the English, what does it say? He says he is the head of all creation. 
the buck stops there with God. Creation reveals that, wow, there is something greater than I am, and because He is more powerful than I am, frankly, I am accountable to Him. It further goes on, not only this idea of God being in the place of ultimate authority, we would put it this way, it's the basic nature and structure of creation reveal the headship of God, and yet this term also reveals the fact of His nature. That term Godhead also refers to the very nature of God. It, uh, the Greek word indicates it. It, it. it means that creation itself gives us a glimpse of His divine nature. And can I tell you, we may not think of just the judgment of God. Those may be the first things that pop into our mind, the judgment and the holiness and so forth. But do you realize that creation itself speaks of the graciousness of God? It speaks of the kindness of God, the compassion of God, and it's displayed. Remember, we've seen it throughout the New Testament. Who, who does he let the rain fall on? Is it just the righteous? No, my friend. He lets the rain fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. The wicked and those who obey God. He is very gracious, and the very fact of creation displays his nature. I think Acts says it well. Paul is speaking to the people at Lystra. He said this, <coughs> Notice the statement. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Don't we serve a great God? That's what he's saying. Paul's telling these people at Lystra. In fact, if you remember the passage there in Acts chapter 14, they came out to kind of worship Paul. In fact, there was a, there was a priest of Jupiter that brought out some oxen, was going to put them on an altar and, and offer them to Paul and his companions. He said, no, 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 don't do that. Listen, there is a God. Let me tell you about him. He has not left himself without witness. You can know who he is through creation. I want you to think about that for a moment. If we say that God's graciousness is seen in creation, can I just put it this way? Let's step back a second. Let's observe just from this passage. Can I tell you God's very graciousness is seen in that he has chosen to reveal himself in creation? He is a gracious God that he would put his name on the firmament, that he would describe himself in the very creation so that we as human beings, inferior, incapable can come to know our God through creation, be led to Him. And I'll tell you, my friend, that is a very gracious God. All the false gods and all the the false uh, uh, theologies that are out there, can I tell you, there's not a God like our God. He is superior. He is supreme. He is the only one whom the creation reveals His eternal power in His Godhead. That is what it reveals to you and I. And so... We were planning on this last week. Obviously, we didn't get to, way, uh, get to it, so we'll put it in this week. Today's takeaway is one of these things. I want this statement, this summarization, excuse me. There is convincing and convicting testimony uh, for God within man and without, within all of creation that renders no human beyond the range and power of that testimony. So wherever the creation of God is, can I tell you, my friend, there without excuse. Because the very revelation of himself within man and within creation renders every human being, unless they are beyond the creation of God, renders every human being without excuse. 
That's what Paul is teaching us here. That's what he's establishing as we've put it in this court case. And don't be mistaken, though, this evening. See, we're not saying that man is judged and doomed for hell because they refuse and reject to see the testimony of God within themselves and without in creation. But I will say this, they are doomed because that rejection in turn leads to them rejecting Jesus Christ who died for their sins. That condemned them to hell. They don't heed the Holy Spirit who is in the world. John chapter 16, verses 8 and 9. Remember, it says there that the Holy Spirit is here to convict of sin because why? They do not believe in Him. So even now, the Holy Spirit is there working in tandem with creation and, and with that which, with, which is within us to convict the world because it does not believe in Christ. As one sees the revelation given within and without, And as that person then lives up to the revelation that they have been given and they seek God, the Bible tells us that God will provide for the hearing of the full gospel by some means or another. We think of that eunuch who was traveling and Philip who was brought to him by God. A biblical picture of the reality that, my friend, if someone in response to creation and what is within the revelation given seeks after God, our God is powerful and faithful enough to bring the gospel to that person. Enough knowledge and understanding of who God is and what God can do for them through Jesus Christ that they can come to put their faith and trust in Him. I'll tell you, my friend, this evening, it is His sovereign, determined grace that reaches out to mankind, allowing Himself to be found if man will simply seek Him. We've said it for the last two services. The Bible is very clear. If you seek me, you will what? Find me. You will find me. I like what Ezekiel says or records for us, Ezekiel thirty three eleven. Say unto them, I like this. We've talked about this before, how God, even in Isaiah, he, he kind of promises on his own name. As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But what's his pleasure? But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Man, we serve a great God, don't we? He is not willing that any should perish. From creation to what was within, the revelation given, God has proven himself that time and time again, he has called every person that has breath on this earth to seek after him. And when that person does, there's a guaranteed promise of finding God at the end of that search. We put it this way in another takeaway for today. Is the testimony found within a person and without a creation that calls every person to begin the journey of seeking after God. It is wetting the appetite. It is starting the spark when the te- what testifies inside of me and outside of me in creation that there is a God. It wets my appetite. I want more. I need to know Him more. I want to find out who this God is. And as we begin that search, that journey, God has promised us He will bring us to the end. And do not be mistaken. What Paul established in Romans 1 here, to not do so is not the act of an ignorant mind, but rather the act of a determined will. We believe wholeheartedly in what the Bible teaches about the volition of man. He has a free will. 
to respond appropriately to what has been revealed to him. And then that leads us to what now Paul embarks upon in the really the rest of what the, the translators have put into a chapter form for us, maybe not necessarily what Paul intended, but nonetheless, for the rest of what we have in the English Bible, the chapter presented to us, Paul then embarks on what we would call the given indictment of mankind. He has just established the facts. Here is what mankind has been given within and without. It makes it without excuse. And here is what mankind has done in response to the revelation. The further indictment. In other words, uh, you ever have a teenager? You have a, have, a, have a son or a daughter that just keeps opening their mouth and digs themselves a little deeper? You ever have that? Or maybe your husband does that, but we won't go there. Okay, they keep adding something, they keep saying something, boy, they're just digging deeper and deeper. Can I tell you, Romans chapter 1 is exactly that. We'll see it in, in coming weeks, that God gave them up or gave them over. Literally, they just kept digging deeper. <laughs> and we'll see it all throughout this passage, and that's literally what we find even confronting us here. Let's look at verse 21. Notice it. We come off that, that crucial statement so that they were without excuse. Verse 20. Verse 21. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man, into birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things." Paul uses, as we said, the rest of the chapter to expound upon this indictment against mankind. What is it? It's frankly a detailed progression of the fall of man. Uh, his man's willful, determined rejection of God and the subsequent consequences and results of such an ominous choice. What's interesting here is you can see, you can go back through the times in history and you can see this played out almost cyclical in its playing out in the history of mankind. Remember, even from the beginning of Adam and Eve and so forth, going up to the days of Noah, we see Romans chapter 1 play out. And then there's other times, and certainly I think we're living in one of the cycles of Romans chapter 1, where we're living this out as a mankind, as, as humans, and it's just playing out. And we'll see this progression, really, of the fall of man. Again, it's a choice not made in ignorance. What did verse 21, did you catch it? Notice verse 21, it says that they what? They knew God. They knew God. That testimony, that revelation that we've already detailed in the prior verses, they knew God. They have knowledge of God because of that revelation within them and outside of them. But in their depravity, in their willful rebellion, they choose the wrong response. A prominent evolutionist said this, and we, we hit on evolution last week quite a bit. We'll just reference it a little bit tonight. But you know what a, a prominent evolutionist said? In a discussion with the creationists, he said this. He made this statement. He, he said this, I refuse to believe in God, so what alternative do I have but evolution? Now, are you catching what he says there? He is not saying that the merits of the arguments for evolution have convinced him, have persuaded him. What he has said is this, I don't believe in God, therefore the only alternative is evolution. Or the only ability to apply that in my life is to believe in evolution. There is no other alternatives. He's not saying that evolution is, is, is smart, wise, and it, it, it proves where mankind came from, where the world came from. He's not saying that. He's saying this. I'm starting with the assumption there is no God. 
And the only scientific theory that backs that up or plays along with that, evolution. Can I tell you, my friend, that shows the heart of man. It's an honest response. It's an honest statement. He's saying, listen, hey, it's not the merits. It's not the proofs and the arguments that have convinced me. No, I I just reject God. It's quite interesting. He's chosen what? Disbelief in God. It kind of makes you think of John chapter 3 and verse 18, doesn't it? You know it well. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is what? Condemned already. Hmm condemned already such as man without excuse let's look at some of the uh, uh ex- uh, let's look excuse me some of the steps that paul outlines for us back up here a second let me say this i i think this is crucial we watched the video back oh my goodness uh, uh i guess that was at new year's and about atheists and w- witnessing to those and so forth um one of the interesting things have you ever maybe you haven't had the opportunity i think it's kind of fun when you argue with excuse me you debate and uh, uh some evolutionists and things like that maybe you knock on a door an atheist evolutionist can i tell you one of the things you'll find out quickly and we maybe saw it in when when ken ham and uh, bill nye the science guy kind of went back and forth in creation and, and evolution you know what you find out about evolutionists? They're very typically hostile. They're very angry. They make it very personal. Now, why do you think that is? I'll tell you why it is. Because what you're trying to prove to them is there is a God. And if there is a God, they're in a whole lot of trouble. They're in a whole lot of trouble. So they are not just proving a scientific theory when you and I debate, when we talk with them. What we are talking about is their very future. Because if there is a God of creation, my friend, there is a God of judgment. God of accountability. And so, hence the reason they can be somewhat antagonistic. They are very passionate, as we should be with anything that we believe in. And yet, the reason is because they know they have a whole lot to lose if they are proven wrong. If we are right and they're wrong. Notice these steps that Paul gives us. Number one, you see it there from verse 21. It's this simple statement here. They refuse to glorify and honor Him as God. That's what we see in verse 21. They knew not, they knew God, yet they glorified Him not as God. This goes back to that Godhead aspect of the revelation. They refused to see Him as the supreme being in their life. The one to whom they are accountable, to whom they will answer, the one to whom they are responsible. In other words, the one who deserves honor and glory because He is their creator, and the other side of that coin is naturally they're gonna have to answer to Him. We know this verse well, Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, and as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment, okay? Have you ever said that to a room full of unsaved people? I have. I've had the privilege, okay? I'm sure Pastor Michelle has too. Many, maybe some of you folks have. I, I have preached many a funeral to unsaved people. And I'll tell you, man, there's a hush that goes over the room. It gets real quiet when you start quoting Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. When you start talking about, we all have an appointment with death. (laughs) It's an appointment that everybody's going to keep. And then, my friend, when at that appointment, you're going to stand before God and answer what you've done with Jesus Christ. It has a way of hushing everything. And, and people before nodding and agreeing, even unsaved, and people who are not living like they believe there is a God, all of a sudden it gets real quiet and everybody gets real somber. You know why? Because I'll tell you, my friend, if you deny there's a God, if you live like there's no God, you don't want to hear that there's a God that I'm going to answer to. 
And so they didn't glorify him as God because if we glorify and honor him as God, that means I accept I will have to stand before him, that there is a greater being than I, that he is God, and I'm going to have to answer to him. So reject wholeheartedly. I like what a preacher of old said. He said this, By denying the existence or providence of God, men may shake off their fears, but not their yoke. Good statement. Do you catch what he's saying there? If I deny there's a God, or at least live like there's no God, I can temporarily escape the fear, the conviction, the guilt, the concern that I might have to answer to Him, but I can never remove the reality that someday I will stand before Him to give an account. See, today I can deny there's a God, and it may not affect me much. It it may not have anything. In fact, it may erase my guilt for how I live, and it may erase some of my concern and worry. But my friend, the day is coming, that appointment time is coming, when we'll stand before God. And you cannot erase away the reality that someday every person is going to stand before God. So to reject the existence of God is to remove the thought of accountability. And yet, when you do so, you also cheat God of the glory and the honor that are rightfully due Him, because He is the Creator of all. You see, a knowledge of God ought to lead naturally to glorifying God. See Him for who He is, and you should be full of praise for Him. But can I tell you, many humans take uh, the head in the sand approach. You think about it, you have a little child or something like that, and, and maybe just for sake of illustration, let, let's say a child's in a room at night, and they're in their bed, they have their covers up over, you know, up, up close to them, and, and all of a sudden they hear a noise, and they think it's the boogeyman. And, and what, what's a natural response? Well, let's just throw the blanket over her head. Now, that's pretty illogical, isn't it? Like the boogeyman's, oh, they have a blanket over the head, I'm going to leave them alone. I'm not going to touch them. I mean, you think of that. That's pretty illogical. That's not going to work. Just throwing a blanket over your head. What are you trying to do? Trying to act like it's not there. It's not there. It's not going to bother me. I mean, that, that's what the kid's trying to do. Can I tell you, some people have that about God. I'm not going to look at creation. I'm going to ignore. I, I'm not going to see God in creation. And, and that nagging thing inside of me, that moral nature and the other things that testify that there is a God, I'm going to suppress that and suppress that and suppress that. I'm going to live and, and like there's no God. I'm going to say there is no God. My friend, that will only last till about uh, death. And then you'll find out that all that time, you, what you suppressed was the truth. And you will find out all too quickly that there is a God. He is your God. And my friend, every knee shall bow. Every knee shall bow. Furthermore, if you don't acknowledge God for who He is, then you certainly won't be a thankful person, will you? That's what the next part of the verse 21 says. They weren't thankful. They refused to thank God. (laughs) To thank Him for being God. We know it well. We teach our children. We're to be thankful and grateful to a person who gives us something. And if there's one who has graciously given us life and everything that pertains to life, then we must conclude that He is worthy of the greatest thanks and gratitude yet man's belief has rendered him ungrateful bringing him to an attitude of ingratitude see belief when i don't believe in god then it renders me unthankful because how can i be thankful can can i tell you this is just this irks me atheists uh atheists and things out there they they try to they try to make fun of you and i they 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 try to mock the things of god and and uh 
they have gone so far as to replace God with the term dog. And I just leaned on my button. Did you see that? That was pretty impressive. See, the atheists are in the electronics too. You didn't know that, did you? Okay, we'll get there. But they have replaced, like in their writings and in their statements and everything else, they have literally used the term dog instead of God. Isn't that sad? I mean, that ought to bother you. It bothers me. It's demeaning to God Almighty. And they'll reference dog like you and I do God. In other words, they'll say in the name of dog. So they'll take that term and they'll just throw it in there. Can I tell you why is that? Because they refuse to believe in God and because they refuse to believe in God. When you and I just mention the idea of being thankful to God, it grates on them. Because once they have stopped believing in God, chosen not to believe in God, I should say, then they don't glorify Him as God, and they certainly aren't going to be thankful to Him. Their lack of acknowledgement of who He is. There's no thanks offered to the God of heaven. There's only rejection and unbelief. There's no gratefulness. And then there is, in its place, mockery and dishonor. Now, I can't, I can't fathom that. Because I'll tell you, to laugh in the face of the one who holds your life in His hands is truly inconceivable to me. To deny that there is a God, to laugh in His face, and yet that's exactly what unbelief produces. And what does the verse say? Man's without excuse. Look again with me, verse 21, if you will. Verse 21. We're going to tie verse the end of verse 21 and verse 22 together. It says this, "...but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened." Now notice this, we hit on it a little bit last week, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We termed it simply this, you see letter C there in your outline. They refuse rational thinking, and that's literally what vain imagination is, empty thinking, but rather entertain foolish and empty thoughts. There's the term vain, excuse me, vain and imaginations here. And then that darkened heart, that's that's a scary thought. We put it this way. You see it on your outline. Uh, the statement here, it sums it up. Sorry about so much verbiage up here. But if one rejects God, now get this statement, who is both the author of the universe and its greatest reality. Because if God created it, then He is the greatest reality of the universe. If He was before all, <laughs> the Alpha and the Omega, I mean, if He was it, then He is the greatest reality to be known. So if they reject that, They refuse to employ obvious, rational logic that God alone is the one that gives meaning to life, that gives purpose in understanding, then that person is doomed to foolish thinking and reasoning, embarking upon a search for wisdom and understanding that is pure folly. See, if God is the author of everything, and therefore He is the author of truth, any search for truth that eliminates God is a folly search, foolish search. See, if I take God out of the picture, well, my friend, you can't take God out of the picture because He is the picture. He is the creator of all. He is the author and the originator of truth. He is everything. Everything originated from God because He created that. I can't take him out of the picture. If I do, then I am reduced to nothing but foolishness, again, and folly. Hence, what happens? Well, he describes it in this passage. Hence, we have the nonsense of worshiping idols. 
worshiping animals, uh, worshiping ourselves, worshiping the sun, the moon, and stars. We have nonsensical speculations about where man came from, what life after death consists of, and so on. All of these things are created out of the foolishness of mankind who rejects and refuses to acknowledge God. So we have to come up with something. And can I tell you, we as humans don't come up with some very good things, do we? It's hard to come up with something convincing because I'll tell you, once you run away from truth, there's not much else left. Once you reject that, the worst outcome of such irrational and illogical thinking is what verse 21 alludes to. Now, here's the the spiritual impact. It darkens the heart. It spiritually darkens the heart, hardens the heart, turns it away. You know what the world says? The world says that one that does not believe in God or the Bible is enlightened and freed from its hold. Can I tell you what that is? That's devil speak for having a foolish and darkened heart. You're not enlightened. You're not freed, my friend, from by not believing in God. You and I know that the song says it best. There's victory in Jesus. That's freedom. Turn with me. Hold your spot. uh, Paul says something I think that is appropriate to bring into play here. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Look with me at verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 17. Notice what Paul says to the church at Ephesus. He says, This I say, therefore... And testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk and the vanity of their mind. Now that's interesting. Similar statement to Romans chapter 1. Verse 18, notice this similar statement. Having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God. How? Through the ignorance that is in them because of what? The blindness of their heart. Paul's telling the church, listen, there's a willful, determined, this is not act of ignorance, this is a willful, determined choice to say, I'm going to ignore the the testimony and revelation of creation that's within, I'm I'm not going to glorify God for who he is, I'm not going to thank him for who he is, and so what happens? Now they begin to develop vain imaginations, foolish thinking, professing themselves to be wise, but in reality, they're foolish, and worst case aspect of it, I should say, is this, they have a darkened heart. They're blind to the truth of what God wants them to see. Yet before Romans 1 ever was on uh, the scene, David said it well, didn't he? You know it. Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. The fool hath said in their heart, there is no God. Now we can go round and round. We can debate whether there is is supposed to be there. It's in italics. It tells us the translators uh, added it. But I'll tell you, the fool says both things. The fool also says, no, God. (laughs) And the fool says, there is no God. It's all true. It's really what's in the heart of a fool. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Boy, David knew it a long time before Romans chapter 1 was written, didn't he? Same Holy Spirit leading both men to write it. Let me give you a little thought here. How many of you have heard, and you've been in the news recently, so maybe see him. How many of you have heard of Stephen Hawking? 
All right, good. Many of you. Wow, fantastic. Okay, great. Stephen Hawking. Uh, read a little blurb about him. That way, if you don't know what he is. Here's how he's described. An atheist, a physicist, a cosmologist, an author, and director, or was, director of research at the Center for Theoretical Cosmology with the University of Cambridge. Despite suffering amyotrophic lateral sclerosis for most of his adult life, he has written books popularizing science. Been in a wheelchair, uh, not much control of his body since I think age 21 or something about that. Now notice this, he, he, he just died last week, week, that's why he's in the news. But he is a highly publicized, a highly celebrated, he, is called one of the, he was called one of the foremost thinkers of the world. He was the kind of guy that, that atheists love. Everybody loved him. Evolution scientists, they pointed to this guy and said, listen to what he says. He wrote a book, and it, it was entitled, and there's an article about it. It was entitled The Grand Design. This is what a Reuters article says about it. Uh, God did not create the universe, and the Big Bang was an inevitable consequence of the laws of physics. Physics, excuse me, the eminent British theoretical physicist Stephen Hawking argues in a new book. In the grand design, co-authored with a U.S. physicist, Hawking says a new series of theories made a creator of the universe redundant, according to the Times newspaper, which published extracts on Thursday. Now, notice this quote from the book. This is what he said. He said this, Because there is a law such as gravity, the universe can and will create itself from nothing spontaneous creation is the reason there is something rather than nothing while the universe exists why we exist hawking wrote now think about that statement for a second there's a couple statements that ought to be in fact i think there's a third one we i won't mention tonight but first of all number one there's the use of the word spontaneous and creation together (laughs) if you know anything really about the their derivatives and where they come from those words are actually kind of contrary See, spontaneous basically means no planning ahead. It just happens. While creation necessarily demands that there's planning ahead. (laughs) That there's something that was there before and some intelligence going into it that really spontaneous kind of does away with. Secondarily, did you catch the one statement? He said that the universe could create itself from nothing. So according to Stephen Hawking, what we are to believe is this, that something can create itself before it is in existence. Now, can you you catch that? Something created itself before it was in existence. Now, that gives me a headache. How in the world do you reason that? And now, I readily admit, I'm not the sharpest, sharpest knife in the drawer. Okay, I'm about as sharp as a bowling ball. Um, so I'm going to get that later. Okay, anyway. Uh, I, but that makes absolutely no sense. In fact, I think it's a great example of extremely logically fallu- fallible argument. You see, what? so the universe created itself before it was in existence. Hmm, it's a little odd. And what is he? One of the foremost thinkers of mankind. Can I tell you, mankind by himself, we're in trouble. We're in trouble. Imaginations are vain. Our hearts are foolish. We proclaim ourselves to be wise, yet the Bible says what? We are foolish. I'll tell you, my friend, I, again, I'm not the sharpest knife in the book, but I'm sorry, I'm not that gullible, and I'm, as the Bible puts it, I'm not that foolish to believe that. I'm not. Here's something better that he says about mankind. 
This just ought to encourage you. You're a person. You're a human. Stephen Hawking says this to encourage you. This is what he says. He says, we are just a slightly advanced breed of monkeys on a minor planet orbiting an average star. I'm already encouraged, aren't you? But we can understand the universe. And that makes us something very special. I don't know about you, but that's pretty dismal. <laughs> I'm a special breed of monkey. Woo! I'm encouraged already. This is great. And what makes us special? We can understand it. Now, we don't, we, he even will admit, we don't know it all, but we can understand something. What he's basically trying to say is we have reasoning abilities. But my friend, can I tell you, we owe that to God. And I am not special because I'm some special breed of monkey. I am special because I am made in the image of God. And because I put my faith and trust in Christ, I am heirs together with him. That makes us special. I feel sorry for Stephen Hawking because I'll tell you, my friend, right now, he has, become, he has come before the very presence of God. He's had his appointment. He said this, and I, you have to love it when the, the guys themselves, in a sense, condemn themselves. Notice the statement. It's a profound statement. The Bible said it a long time before he ever did. Notice this. The greatest enemy of knowledge is not ignorance. It is the illusion of knowledge. Isn't that funny coming from an evolutionist? Isn't that funny? Because you know what evolution is? The illusion of knowledge. You know what people say about Stephen Hawking? One of the greatest minds the world has ever seen. No, my friend, that is the illusion of one of the greatest minds ever seen. The Bible, in fact, calls it foolishness. I'm not against the man, certainly deceased. But let me understand. Let's be clear. The greatest knowledge or intelligence of man doesn't even come close to God. That's an amazing statement because you know what has happened? Satan himself has used Stephen Hawking as the illusion of knowledge. He has led thousands, likely millions, astray from the reality of what creation teaches and the revelation inside speaks to the fact that there is a God. You say, well, Pastor Henry, how do you, how do you know that? Well, isn't this interesting? There was a philosopher in the, these last few days as Stephen Hawking passed away, died. There's a philosopher, a playwright, a, an author um, in Turkey who made this statement. Listen to me and we're done. He looked at Stephen Hawking and he says, wait a minute. If he teaches this, there's only one conclusion. Notice it. And you tell me if this is not the ultimate goal of Satan for us as humans. This is what he said. The guy said this, and of course the clicker wouldn't work at that moment. There we go. Excellent. Stephen Hawking implies, this is his quote, the guy saying, Stephen Hawking implies that we are living in a godless universe or a kingless kingdom. In that case, mankind must ascend the throne. That is the logical end, is it not? If I don't believe there's a God, then there's only one person that can ascend the throne, and that's me. I am the master of my fate. I am the one who determines everything. Don't tell me that such a wrong theory and an erroneous theory as evolution is not that big of a deal. Satan is using it, and that and many other things, to confound the people who think themselves wise, to lead many astray. Because Satan wants nothing else but for you and I to deny there is a God. What's his goal? From the beginning of the age, he wants hell full and heaven empty. And yet God wants it just the opposite.
Brother Cliff, you bring those prayer requests to us. We'll spend some time in prayer tonight. I ask you to continue to pray for Floyd Young. Pray for Julie Shaver. Pray for Andy Van Bergen and the healing from recovery from these surgeries. Thank the Lord for the ones who have been saved recently, those who have joined the church. and Thankful for these things the Lord's been doing. got several prayer requests tonight, so let's get right at it. I ask you to pray for Tucker uh, Terry. Tucker Terry. Curtis and Ashley's son and diagnosed with RSV too. So pray for little Tucker, RSV, and Ashley home with little Tucker. So pray for Tucker. The Lord will just touch and heal him, help him be able to stay out of the hospital, and that it would not get bad enough for that. Ask you to pray for Bill Vickery, a friend of Andy Van Bergen, and ran into him at the hospital. He has a lot of medical issue. He's 83 years old and uh, needs salvation. So pray for Bill Vickery for salvation and Pray for an opportunity for Andy Van Bergen to meet again with him to share the gospel more fully. So pray for Bill Vickery, friend of Andy Van Bergen there. Uh, The Lord would just open up the opportunity and be with that gentleman and help Andy be able to have an opportunity to witness to him. We mentioned on Sunday, but pray for Robin Garcia's mom, Terry Oliver. Uh, She has a 90% chance of having another stroke in the next 90 days. So pray that she would not. She is back home, and so we're thankful for that and recovering there. So pray for Terry Oliver, Robin Garcia's mom, and had that stroke and things there um, Saturday or Sunday morning early, I think. And so pray that uh, that stroke would not reoccur these next 90 days for Terry Oliver. I ask you to pray for a couple unspokens. One is for Janet Carell, an unspoken. I ask you to pray for Crystal Gwynn, an unspoken likewise. And Janet Carell, unspoken. Crystal Gwynn, an unspoken. And then also Hannah Johnson, an unspoken. So pray for those three unspoken. Janet Krell, Crystal Gwynn, and Hannah Johnson, an unspoken in each of those cases. Ask you to pray for Donald. This is a co-worker's father of Mark Quick. And for salvation, 89 years old and... Um, within the next two weeks, a valve replacement, some other surgeries too, heart surgery at Beaumont Hospital in Troy. So pray for Donald, co-worker's father for salvation, co-worker of Mark Quick, specifically for salvation. Then also, I ask you to pray for those health procedures that are going to be taking place and I ask you to do that. I ask you to pray for John Ryder. John Ryder, Cindy Young's uh, son, needs a better paying job. And so just pray the Lord will provide a job. For John Ryder, Cindy Young's son. We mentioned also already Floyd Young. Just pray for him to heal from those infections, be able to have the open heart surgery very soon for Floyd Young. John Ryder for a job. I ask you to pray for uh, Jerry Hubble's uh, niece, Evelyn. Evelyn, hospitalized for internal problems. She is safe, so we praise the Lord for that. But pray for Evelyn, for wisdom for the doctor, that the doctors would undertake on her behalf, give wisdom there. Find out what's going on for those internal problems. Name's Evelyn. And that's Jerry Hubble's niece. I ask you to pray for that. All right, I think that's all of them for this evening. So I encourage you to remember these. Look inside your prayer bulletin. Have several listed there. Remember our missionaries. The Lord has just undertaken their behalf. Ladies, don't forget, uh, train your little hearts on Friday. We hope to see you there. And uh, we'll split up in groups of one, two, and three, however the Lord would lead you tonight as we go to prayer. We'll take these prayer requests before the Lord pray together. When you're done, you'll just quietly slip out. And I encourage you to stop by the tables, fellowship a little bit. If you'd like to grab a visit, do so in the back. Thanks for being here tonight. We look forward to seeing you back on Sunday. Let's go to prayer together.